You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's good to have you with us today. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 19 of Psalm 51. But before we take a look at it, let me set up the context of what we're about to look at here by sharing a couple things. The psalm we're about to look at is confessional in nature. You have David praying before the Lord and confessing his sin. And I think for many of us, that can be a very difficult thing to attempt to do, because I think we all have this thought that we need to present ourselves as perfect, or we don't want other people knowing our faults. We don't even want to admit our own faults to ourselves, uh, and that results in us frequently not admitting our faults to the Lord and seeking his cleansing, seeking his forgiveness. Years ago, I knew uh, uh, an older lady who was convinced that she had not willfully sinned in the past 19 years. That's how she described her relationship with the Lord. She said she had not willfully sinned in the past 19 years. Now, I don't know what you think about that statement. I know what I think about that statement. (laughs) And uh, I will confess to you that a part of me was tempted to maybe step on her toe and see if she might say a bad word at me or, or something like that. Obviously, I wouldn't really do that, but it just made me wonder what she would do in the midst of an unguarded moment. Would she be willing to admit that just like the rest of us, she sins, or is that something that had become such a deep area of denial in her heart that that's not something she could bring herself to admit, because maybe part of her identity, at least in her own mind, was anchored in this thought that she had spent almost two decades not willfully sinning. I think she was on very dangerous ground in regard to her perspective of her spiritual walk with the Lord, and as a result, it it made me it just made me wonder if she had now spent almost two decades failing to come before the Lord confessing the things that she was wrestling with in her day-to-day life, or if she's just living in complete denial. Well, as we look at this portion of Scripture here from Psalm 51, we could see that David was prompted to come before the Lord and to confess his sin. And this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of Psalm 51. This is what we read. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, you teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build out the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we take a look at this portion of your word, that you would give us wisdom and insight so that we would understand it. We pray, Lord, that you'd prepare our minds and our hearts right now to receive it, and we pray that by your grace that we would grow in our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, as we look at this portion of your scriptures. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this portion of Scripture today, we see that the first group of verses in this passage starts out with David's confession. Now, we just read this a moment ago, but I'm going to reread those first few verses. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Then he goes on to say, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. It's fascinating how this portion of Scripture begins and how David develops this perspective where he is willing to confess his sin before the Lord. Now, I mentioned in the previous episode of this podcast that I have a uh, a pinball machine here in my house that that uh, was given to me by a friend, and um, when I first got it, I began working on the thing because it didn't work, and so I had to take it apart, and that involved taking the the front glass that is on the, the playing surface or the playing field. I had to take that off and set it aside so that I could begin working on the parts, and uh, as I got it partially working, Uh, I started to get better at it. And not everything was working on it, but it was enough that I was able to get the scoreboard working. I got most of the things, or at least some of the things, on the play field working. And uh, I developed a high score on, (laughs) on the machine. And I thought that was pretty neat. And certainly I showed my kids that, and they thought that was neat as well. And, um, I had to leave after I had done that, uh, because I had a meeting at church with our elders. So I left. And the front glass was, or the, the the top glass was off of the machine. And when I came home later after the meeting, I noticed that my initial score, my high score, had been obliterated. It was just, it was completely just gone, and there was a new score in place. And so I asked the kids, I was like, how is that even possible? You guys aren't that good at pinball. How is this score just completely annihilated? 
And it dawned on me that that glass on the machine was off. So that meant, in my mind anyway, that they were probably messing with the spinners and the bumpers and all sorts of things. They were probably spinning those things around to give themselves a ridiculously high score. And so I looked at them and I said, I need you to confess. Is that what you were doing while I was gone? And they paused. And they didn't want to say anything at first. And then they confessed, yeah, that's exactly what they were doing. They were manually adding points by spinning the spinners and and bumping the bumpers with their hands. And and the point that was now, or the the high score that was now on the machine, had nothing to do with someone actually playing the game. It was just the result of my kids playing with all the, the things that were now open on the playing service of the machine. So it was funny, but I was glad that they were willing to confess, at least after they were confronted. And now it's interesting because when you think of this portion of Scripture and you see the confession that that David references here that he makes before the Lord in this portion of Scripture, there's a backstory to all of it, and it's referenced elsewhere in God's Word. And the backstory is this. You have David serving as king over the people of Israel. And while he was king, basically anything he wanted, he could have. Uh, I guess that's one of the perks of being king. It doesn't mean you should take everything that you could possibly take, but but he certainly had gotten to a, a spot where he realized, I can have whatever I want. And so there happened to be one day where he was looking out over his kingdom, and he happened to see Bathsheba, and he could see her in the distance bathing, and he lusted after her. And he realized that Bathsheba was beautiful. And what ended up happening was he arranged for for her to come to him, and he committed adultery with her. And then he went even further and had her husband, Uriah, who was a righteous man, he had him killed in battle. And David lived with this on his conscience for a while until he was confronted by a prophet, and the prophet's name was Nathan. And this is what it says in Second Samuel chapter 12 related to that. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. It's amazing what our hearts are willing to try to cover up and live with. Even though we believe in an all-knowing God, we often learn to value our appearance to each other more so than an unhindered relationship with him. And for a time, we have David here trying to cover up his sin, but when confronted, he had options. He could have denied it, or he could have confessed it. And in fact, he did not deny it. He had the power to execute Nathan who was confronting him. But instead, what he chose to do was to admit his sin and to repent of it. And afterward, he penned this prayer as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen these words down. 
And in this prayer, in this confession, David asked the Lord for mercy, and he asked the Lord for cleansing on the basis of God's unfailing love. It's interesting to dwell on the contrast between our our daily propensity to fail our Lord and the nature of God's unfailing love toward his children. And when you look at these verses, you see David coming to the spot that, truthfully, we all need to come to. We need to come to an admission of our sinfulness and our acceptance of the Lord's cleansing and forgiveness. And keep in mind, David is stating here that sin isn't just something that we do, but it describes our very nature apart from Christ. In fact, when you look at verse 5 of um, of David's prayer here, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We also see a... Uh, a reference to this kind of concept if if we uh, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20. This is what we read there. It says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. But that's a hard thing to admit. Children struggle to admit it to parents. Parents struggle to admit it to their children. We don't like to admit that we sin and that we need the Lord's cleansing and forgiveness. We don't even like to admit past mistakes, even if they're, they're ancient history, maybe, in our, in our lives. I, I know I had a, an experience recently where I confessed something to my children from my youth. When I was, uh, let's see, from ages 12 to age 14, I really struggled with smoking. I smoked during those years. I was offered cigarettes when I was 12 uh, by a friend, and I tried them and became quickly addicted, and it took me a long time to break that addiction. Certainly um, in that season of life, it took me, um, you know, it was three grades, you know, a little over two years that I smoked. And um, I mentioned that to my children because I didn't want them to dabble with that same sort of thing. I didn't want them to make that same sort of mistake. And so I told them how easily I became addicted to smoking and how difficult it was for me during that young season of my life to break that addiction. And my sister found out that I had shared that with my kids, and she was surprised to know that I would admit that. She thought that was probably something I didn't want too many people to know about my past. And I I told her that I admitted it to them, and I told her why I had admitted that to them. And I think there was great benefit in that. And it's interesting when we think about things like that, when we think about admitting our sin, sometimes we're so fearful of doing that. But how does the Lord respond to us confessing our sin or to us admitting our sin? Think about the example that we're given in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 13. It gives us an example there of a, a Pharisee and a tax collector coming before the Lord, and it tells us what the tax collector did. It says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said there, he said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That man confessed his sin before the Lord, and the Lord justified him. But what about now? What do we do with the guilt that builds up in our hearts? What's the result of holding it in? You know, who did Jesus say would be declared righteous by God? These are all things that we need to wrestle with if we're going to come to a spot of confession. I think another thing we need to wrestle with as well is this idea, do we still prefer praise from men 
over God's declaration of righteousness. But here in Psalm 51, we have David coming before the Lord and confessing his sin. And he does this in view of God's unfailing love. And there's also something that he recognizes that God alone can do for him. That's found in in verses 7 to 12, where he speaks of cleansing. Look at what it says there. In Psalm 51, starting with verse 7, it says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. Now, it's interesting because even after we admit our guilt to the Lord, it could be very easy for us to begin spending a lot of time beating ourselves up. I have personally done that. Maybe you have done that as well. I think sometimes it's it's interesting because we believe that our Lord is gracious and merciful, yet how often do we fail to let that truth sink deep down into our hearts to the point where we're, we're willing to, to also show ourselves grace and mercy that we've received as a gift from the Lord? I remember when I was a new pastor— uh, there was a man who used to come and visit me with regularity uh, just because he wanted to talk. And eventually, uh, a lot of the conversations that we have had seemed to, to center around something from his past that really troubled him. And I won't go into all the details of what he told me. In fact, I won't go into very many details at all. But I can tell you that he had served in World War II. This man's passed away now. Uh, but for the bulk of his adult life after his time serving in World War II, he beat himself up about a moral failing that he committed during that time. And it was something that plagued his mind for decades, right up until the point where he died, and he died an an old man. But he tortured himself, and he beat himself up continually instead of resting in the cleansing that's offered through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet when we look at this portion of Psalm 51, we have David speaking here with a sense of certainty and a sense of clarity, basically stating that, Lord, if you do something, it's accomplished. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He's saying, blot out my iniquity, Lord. Don't hold it against me. Don't keep a record of it. I can't pay for it. Please don't make me. And he knows that the Lord can accomplish that. I read a story, um, actually it was a while ago, I think this was a few years ago I read this story, but it had to do with a plane that had to be landed early because there was a conflict taking place in the first class section of the plane. And basically what had happened was a man had been moved up from uh, just, uh, you know, just standard boarding to first class. And the passenger who was sitting next to him was so upset because he didn't have to pay for it like she did. So she created such a scene that the plane had to be grounded. They eventually had to land the plane because they could not calm the irate woman down because she was so upset that a man would be able to sit in first class having not paid for it, given it for free or given it at at this, you know, reduced rate because 
he had paid for regular boarding and his his boarding had been upgraded to first class, a level he had not paid for, and she couldn't stand that idea. Think about that concept in relation to our spiritual walk. In Jesus, our sin has been paid for. We didn't pay for it. He paid for it for us. And in Jesus, our sin is not recorded, nor will it be held against us. Think about what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. In that portion of Scripture, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Scripture likewise tells us that those who trust in Christ and receive his forgiveness are new creations in him. Think about what the Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is what we read there. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. David expresses this well when he acknowledges God's power to create a pure heart within him. The word create that's used here, by the way, is the Hebrew word bara. Uh, It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1-1 to speak of the Lord's creation of heaven and earth. And basically what it means is to create something new out of nothing, to not just improve or renovate the old thing, but to create something new out of nothing. And when we apply this truth to our, our walk with Christ, in Christ, that means you and I are brand new, not just an upgraded version of your old self. And the deeper we begin to understand the implications and the depths of Christ's gospel, the greater our sense of joy will be. And David was seeking that here. His relationship with the Lord was never in question, but his experience of joy It was diminished when he sought to satisfy his soul with anything less than the Lord. And it's certainly hard for us as believers to be experiencing the depths of joy that the Lord wants us to experience if we're spending all our time or a bulk of our time living in a state where we're grieving the Holy Spirit, like it says in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's probably worth asking, kind of as, a, as an introspective question, are you experiencing true joy? Is there anything getting in the way of that? Maybe we could ask this, what lesser things have we become convinced will satisfy our souls? The truth is, until we're convinced that Jesus alone can satisfy the whole in our hearts, we're setting ourselves up for things like adultery, like we see David committing, We're setting ourselves up for things like coveting, or theft, or sloth, or addictions, or whatever it may be, because our hearts want what we become convinced can bring us joy. And in a lesser moment, David was convinced that adultery would bring him joy, but it doesn't bring him joy. It brought him grief. And now he was seeking the Lord's cleansing. 
There's one other thing that's brought out in this portion of Scripture that's a principle that I think is is worth us noticing when we think about applying this Scripture to our lives. And we could see, if we look at uh, verses 13 down to verse 19 of Psalm 51, this idea of commitment. David's making a commitment to the Lord, what he will do with the life that the Lord has redeemed, what he will do with the life that the Lord has cleansed and forgiven. This is what he says in verse 13. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your praises. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. And the truth is, when we truly experience the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we're changed. A genuine encounter with Christ changes a person. I uh, I ran into, not too terribly long ago, a friend of mine from high school who remembered me during an earlier season of, um, I guess it'd be more like junior high, and, um, and she noticed that towards senior high, I became a much different person. And that was during a time in my life where I became serious about my faith in Christ. But she asked me about that. She said, what changed you? What changed you? Why were you so different from, from one period of time to the next? And I told her very simply, I met Jesus, and he changed me. And when you look at this portion of Scripture here, where David's expressing these commitments to the Lord, you have David expressing that same kind of thought here in relation to his own life. You have David, after confessing his sin and now experiencing the Lord's cleansing, he expresses a heartfelt commitment to share this experience with others. The way he says it is, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. And he also states, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You have David being reminded of his purpose for living and the mission for which he had been given a commission by God. He was an ambassador to this earth, we could say, of the God who saves me. We who call on the name of Jesus Christ, by the way, are ambassadors of the God who saves us. God's looking for changed hearts. He's not looking for heartless sacrifices. David even expresses that here in this passage as well. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. So in our context, how can we commit to give others a taste of the joy that we have been given in Jesus Christ? How can we remind each other of the joy of our salvation? A couple practical thoughts here. First of all, never convince yourself that you can go beyond the gospel. We need to always come back to the truth of the gospel in our minds and in our hearts. We need to delve deeper into it and not try to go beyond it. Secondly, I think we need to stop believing that we deserve God's goodness. We don't deserve God's goodness. God's goodness toward us is a gift. We need to remember that it's a gift and stop acting like somehow we deserve it because we certainly don't deserve it. 
Third, I think we need to be sharing the Word of God in a variety of ways. We need to, to share the, the gifts that God has given to us in Word by expressing that. We need to, to display the gift of our salvation indeed by serving others. And likewise, when we're serving others, we need to serve them without seeking anything in return. We just need to serve for the glory of Jesus Christ, not for our own glory. And a fourth principle that I would say is important to remember is that we need to be unto others as Christ would, meaning we need to treat others and speak to others and live in front of others in such a way that we are reflecting the heart of Christ in the relationships that the Lord has blessed us with. I have a friend who several years ago got to a point where he decided to literally remove his family from contact with those who who do not share his beliefs. He's not experiencing joy. He's forgetting his purpose. He's convinced that God is more interested in his sacrifices than his heart. So he and his wife and his children, they have chosen to remove themselves from contact with those who do not share their beliefs. And sadly, what's happened is they don't have very many opportunities when they do that to make the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ known because they've removed themselves from contact with the majority of people In this world. But when you look at David's prayer here, when you look at what he's committed to do, by God's grace, you have David committing to now walk closely with the Lord once again and to be a visible testimony of what it means to love the Lord. And it's useful for us to look at this portion of Scripture for a variety of reasons, but one of the things that we could ask ourselves is where are we right now in our relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we willing to come before him and confess our sin? Are we willing to come before him and receive and experience the blessing of the cleansing that he can provide? And as recipients of that, are we willing to commit our lives to making him known in word and in deed as we serve other people for his glory and as we audibly testify to the goodness of God in our lives? These are things that I think are are worth considering and certainly things that I'm reminded of when I take a look at this portion of God's Word. So let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we thank you again for this portion of your Word, and we come before you and we admit, Lord, that we're men and women that struggle in all areas of life. I I struggle in so many areas, Lord, that I'd honestly be embarrassed to confess every one of those things right now. But Lord, I do confess those things before you because I know that you know them already. And Lord, sometimes you lead me to make confession of these things before others. And Lord, that's at times humiliating, but I think in a healthy and redemptive kind of way, it's certainly humbling. I'd rather, I think, at times admit that or try and convince myself that I'm I'm perfect. But I know, Lord, that that's not something that brings you glory. You're perfect. I'm not. None of us are. Someday we will be perfect in your presence, but right now we wrestle with sin. And so, Lord, in this portion of Scripture, we see David a man you loved, and a man that you were using in great and mighty ways, but he was confronted with his sin, and by your grace he was willing to confess it, he was willing to repent of it, and he was willing to re-examine the nature of his relationship with you and to step forward walking in the newness of life that he had in you. Lord, we pray that we would remember these things and that by your grace that you would empower us to do the same. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. If you're enjoying this ministry and if you'd like to help this ministry to continue, I'd like to just throw out a few quick ideas of ways that you can encourage us and support this work. 
the first way that we uh, offer is the idea of becoming a member of our Dollar Donors Club. And what that does is it helps us cover our hosting and our production costs by simply chipping in a dollar a month. The link to do that is available at pastor.us. Another way that you could support this ministry is by taking a look at some of the resources that we have available uh, for your spiritual growth at pastor.us. And if you feel so led, you could purchase some of those. And that certainly goes a long way to supporting this ministry. And a third way that doesn't cost you a penny, it just costs you maybe a moment of your time, is the next time you're in front of a computer or maybe even using uh, your smartphone or something like that, log into iTunes and leave us a rating or a review on this podcast. And what we'll do is from time to time, as our listenership grows, we'll be reading some of your reviews in future episodes, and we certainly appreciate any way that you might choose to encourage or support this ministry. So that's all for this episode. Be sure to visit us online at pastor.us when you get a free minute, and we hope that you have a great day. Thanks again. Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's Word, one verse at a time, to explore His will for your life and desire to draw closer to Him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search Your Daily Bible Verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.